This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Again, great to have all of you here today for the start of this, of this series, this series I Choose. And what we're looking at is sort of a flow here about I Choose, and we're going to look how, how we can start to choose in the biggest of pictures, principle over popularity. And, and we're going to look at somebody who goes through a process of rebirth. It's a guy by the name of Nicodemus over the next three weeks. And I want to set it up by saying, you know, in any denomination, in any, in any church you have, you know, people come to church with all kinds of different perspectives. Some people are in the midst of feeling like, yeah, I'm just coming alive. And other people come to church feeling like, man, I just wish I had a connection with God. You know, they're feeling alone. They're feeling frightened. They're feeling ashamed. And, and, and there's other people who are coming from a very different perspective. And this is a series that will actually answer to both of those. And it's a beautiful set of, of, of teachings that, that talk about how we can be reborn and what that can look like in our lives. The overview of it's pretty straightforward. I choose. And today we're looking to, I choose to ask. Next week to listen and the week after to do. So it brings up the question, like, why is choice so important. Why do we actually need to choose? Take a look at this next slide because I think it gets to what the problem actually is. The problem, someone we love above all else, above all else is God to us and something we love above all else is divine to us. The challenge is, is that we're always making up gods, our own gods. And, and they're the easiest way, like are, are those things that we ritually worship and I'm using worship in quotes here. Those things that we really give our lives to, that, that we really put our energy towards, we put our resources towards. And not all of those necessarily are bad gods, but, but for a lot of them, it becomes obsessive. We put way, 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 way too much into it. And that's where we need to start to ask these questions. We need to choose to ask questions about it. Because the problem then becomes... God then can become a projection. We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but I really want to drive it home. God then become a projection, a flattering, self-justifying image of ourselves. So God can become like, I, I, I look at myself and I look at all the things I do well, and I feel like, well, of course God loves all those things, so that must be what God is like. And if you don't like those things, guess what? You're missing. You're, you're somehow I can hold that and, and hold that and actually judge people, judge other people religiously because they don't hold the same exact image of God that I do. That projection can be pretty dangerous because what we start to do is we start to put things then in these very narrow boxes. We start to, to create things where we believe that we're finding clarity and comfort and control. We're finding all these things, and we're just simply sorting. This is a picture of the lady in charge of dead birds at the Smithsonian. You know, I, I get, you know, all those, you know, I got my whole life, like, neatly, neat. Macabs are up to the top, right? Macabs, excuse me. You know, where we, we have everything so neatly organized in our lives. But the reality is, folks, lives don't always work that way. So we need to kind of see God a little bit different. And the shift becomes this. We move from one to the other. We move from projection to projectile. So what that means is I hold up my image of God the way I see it. 
And I have to be willing to allow God to actually become a projectile that's going to actually blow that apart a little bit. And there's actually a lot of health there when I can allow that to happen. It's it's why Richard Rohr said, you know, the first thing that religion has to do, it actually has to confront us. Then it can convert us. Then it can comfort us. Because if we're just out for it to comfort us, first, folks, if, if religion only comforts, that means that my projection of what God is is left completely intact. And that will keep me from growing. Like, why would I grow? If I already have all the answers, why would I choose to ever grow, to ever change? Now, I want to share with you this next part, and this one's a little tricky. This one's a little tricky. It's this idea. The battle is largely not between good and evil. It's between good, please say it loud. It is between good and normal. Like, just think about that for a second. There are obviously those times where the battle is between good and evil. Got it. And the battle that a lot of us fight actually is this battle between good and normal. Where we hold something up just as totally normal. This is just the way it goes. And the problem with what's normal, folks, we can't see it. Like like those things in my life that are really, really normal. Really, really normal. It's not a growth edge for me because I just, I'm so comfortable with it. So, so, so comfortable with it. You know, how many of us were raised before the era of seatbelts? Raise your hand, be honest. You know, I, I can remember going on vacation, right? And probably some of you had this, you know, parents just threw you in the back of the station wagon. And, uh, you know, probably some of you, you know, the car seat when you were a baby or when you, when you had your kids was a laundry basket. Remember that? See, that was normal. Nobody questioned that. So, you know, you, you drove, you drove on vacation, cigarette in one hand, <laughs> no seatbelts for the kids in the back. Totally normal. That's what I think we're asked to start to address. That's what I think we're actually start to address. And the story of Nicodemus is going to get us there. Because he's somebody who had a very locked down version of what was normal. What mattered, what was important, what power was, what success was. And all that had to change. His projection had to be hit by a projectile, which was Christ. Had to be hit by that projectile, broken apart so that he could find religion, faith in a brand new way. Now, um... This next, I'm not going to show you this slide yet. I want to set it up a minute. As I was telling the team, like all of us, every single one of you has something geeky out there that you're really excited about, right? Maybe it's, I don't know, the, uh, the, the Phillies or you like a certain kind of food or you're, you know, you're, you're absolutely obsessed about like Pez collectors. I don't know what it is. I want to talk for a minute about, about words. And, and as I do this, like, I want you to be really excited for me, even if this doesn't excite you, if that makes sense. It's kind of like me showing you a slide of my family vacation, and I just want you to be excited because it was cool to me. And that's this word, the word denomination. Denomination. I, I love looking at words. Like, yeah, what is it that, that the people were trying to capture in religious language for hundreds of years that in some ways we've lost? And there's some real interesting history to this word. 
Now, you look at our political conventions. When you nominate somebody to be a candidate, when you nominate somebody to be on a board, or you nominate somebody to be this, that, or the other thing, what's that N-word you could use? You have just named them. To denominate, what does that mean then about name? Look at the word, folks. It's to take away the name. Isn't that interesting? I hope you find that interesting. I find that really fascinating. Thank you. <laughs> this part of the room is going to heaven. So, so, so that, that, that denomination thing, like that's what, isn't that fascinating? That's what religions were supposed to do. Isn't that fascinating? Like they were actually supposed to take away your name for God. Because what they wanted to do was to replace it with a much better picture, a much bigger narrative a much more loving, expansive view of God than what we hold because if it's just a projection, it's pretty limited. So denominations is actually really powerful. As the band comes out for the next song, as the band comes out, I want you to think like, yeah, just just for a minute, just think, yeah, I, I could see that. I could see where maybe I have a name for God that, that needs shifting. I, I think, by the way, even atheists, you know, can, can function with a certain projection of God. That projection of God is there is no God, that I'm it. Where might that need to shift? Where might there just be a little call to actually dename your version, your vision, your name for God, and to allow something else, something much more powerful, much more wonderful to actually be born there? So I want to start out this second half talking for a minute. We all know what this is, right? You know, talking about ladders. You know, when, when, you, when you start talking about Nicodemus, you start talking about what does it actually mean to be reborn again. You have to understand the way society functioned at that time. Now, now society at that time, you really didn't have middle class. You essentially had the ruling elites, and then you had everybody else, sort of the peasantry. This is a story about Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus had gone way up the ladder. He was a very learned clergyman. He was a, what was called a Pharisee at that time. Very learned clergyman. So he'd taken, already taken a couple of steps up. He could read. Very few people could read. It was one of the, you know, I think it was 6% or so they estimate the amount of people who could read was their literacy rate. So he could read. He was highly educated. He was venerated. He would have been seen like as this mythical Michael Jordan-esque person, way up there at the top of the pillar. So he not only was a Pharisee, but then he took another step up. He was a member of what was called the ruling council at that time, he was, which was called the Sanhedrin. It was a group of religious leaders who worked with the Romans, and, and sort of the Romans knew they had to work with these religious leaders because they knew the people would listen to these religious leaders. So a way for the Romans to keep peace was to have these religious leaders give them some power, etc. And the next step, he also would have been, it would have had a lot of money. That was, that was party. He would have had a lot of economic power in the country at that time. So this was a guy who was at the very peak and it's a fascinating story because this is sort of subcontext for you to kind of mull over in your head. I don't have great answers for it, but it does just make me wonder, like, what would make somebody who had all this going for them to start to question, 
to start to wonder if they really had it down, if they really understood God. And again, this was a guy who was paid to understand God. And everybody looked up to him and would have said, that's a guy who understands God. And inside his head, he's going like, I don't get it. It's the only reason why I can imagine he would have gone to see Christ. He just wouldn't have gotten it. Christ, on the other hand, at this time, he was just, he was essentially a peasant. He was going around. Yes, he was talking and he was, he was, he was healing, but healing people, but he was, he was not one of the halves. He was, he was clearly somebody who was on the outs of society at this time. And that's where this beautiful story takes place. And it takes place at night. And you saw in that picture of, of Nicodemus sitting at Christ's feet. Now, we know he would have been sitting at his feet because you'll see in a minute why. You know, he references him as rabbi. Don't lose track of how big this was. Here's a man who's at the very top of society. And he's willing literally to sit at the feet of a peasant and listen and try to figure out and to wonder why and develop in his life maybe a more generous orthodoxy, more rich way of seeing the world. I mean, this is a courageous event we're going to be looking at. And it's so easy to just breeze through John 3, but don't forget this ladder and forget that all he risked by doing that. Now, as we look back at the story, it's a very beautiful one from John 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, at night, at night, at night, at night. Folks, why would he, why would he have come at night? Somebody just shout it out. He didn't want anybody to see. Why didn't he want anybody to see? Why do you think? Reputation. Reputation. You think a little fear? Little fear, worried about his reputation, worried about all this. Like imagine going to go see a peasant to figure it out, right? And you're the guy who's paid to figure it out. So it's obviously why he would have gone at night. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, which is interesting. Like, like even that, folks, he uses the, the honor. It was a beautiful term, rabbi, teacher, this beautiful tradition in the, in the Jewish culture. Well, Jesus, we, we looks like from the Bible, he was actually a carpenter. And so here he's, he's looking at this man who did, had done manual labor for most of his life and calls him teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very, very truly, I tell you, no one can, can you say that word? No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus, like he's such a literalist, like that's what he was paid to do, such a literalist. He's like, wait a minute. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. We'll be looking next week at what actually happens with that. But folks, what this is about is, is, is this is about a denomination process. This is about a denomination process. A process where all those projections that he had were being hit with projectiles in ways that were really interesting to look at. And we're gonna lead, we're gonna lead them to a much better view of God. See, folks, and this is a little aside. He would have believed, like, here's God, and here I am. 
And in between the two is this string. And again, a very separate view of God, like God is way out there, not the ground of our being, not something we can understand, but something way, way, way out there. And here I am, and I've got this little string. And this little string, he would have called it the law, means that if I just follow all these little laws just right, that somehow I'll draw closer to God. He was paid to follow every single law perfectly. The fact that he rose to the very top of society tells you that he pulled that trick off. He had followed every law perfectly. But folks, the string wasn't working. If it was working, why would he have come to see him? Now, he still has fear that other people are going to notice that the string's not working for him. That's why he comes at night. But we can see that string starting to fray. We can imagine him just going through the motions again and again, day in and day out, and just be like, it's, it's just something not it. I'm missing something. So the string gets, fill in the word for me here. We're going to do a pictograph. The string gets cut. Can I tell you a miracle? This is a miracle. For those of you who are here right now, and you're feeling very distant from God, and you're feeling like the string's cut, I get it. And what I can tell you, if you give it time and patience and love, every time God cuts the string, or I should say God cuts the string, every time we cut the string and we feel alone, God comes back in, in his divine providence, and he reties it. Every time the string gets cut and retied, we draw closer to God. It takes time, it takes patience, but that's one of those things I really know to be true. In this story, you're going to see that string cut, and you're going to see somebody who keeps on drawing closer and closer to God, closer and closer to what it actually, what, what, what a relationship with God actually means. And it's interesting, again, folks, when you start to look at the language of this, of that string being retied, and how God's trying to retie it for him. There's some real interesting parts. Take a look at this. What were the signs? It said that he saw signs. Real interesting. It didn't say that he heard a spectacular sermon. Like, I heard you preach. You're the best preacher I ever heard. I'm in. He said, no, I saw signs. And the signs that Christ gave, Christ did not give out signs saying, hey, look, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. Christ's signs, please say it, folks. Christ's signs were all that H word. We're all about healing. Those are the signs. Please, please, please let that resonate. The signs are healing. The sign that God is here with us is healing. It's not language. It's not knowledge. It's not some magic trick where he shows up like thunder and lightning did last night. It's not that. It's not that. It's healing. It's healing. And when we heal, what happens is then he says, well, you're going to see the kingdom of God. You're going to see the divine reign. That I word's real important, so why don't you say that loud. That divine reign in the world. In the world. That's the definition of the kingdom. Yes, new church, we believe in heaven. But that's not what he shows signs of. He doesn't like lift everybody up and say, here, I want to show you heaven. What he does is he settles everybody down. 
has him look around, and he says with healing, I want to show you heaven. I want to show you what heaven actually is, what, what, what heaven actually means. I want to talk, folks, about what those signs actually are. Like, like how is it that this all somehow works? Because it is really fascinating to me. Like, it's, it's the, that the signs are not what we might typically think, that the signs are something else in terms of God's kingdom. Even, even just with human nature, like human nature, we're so much into a sign might be, well, do you belong to my faith? Do you belong to my team? Are you doing things the right way? And that's that string again. And again, that, that string is okay, but, but eventually it will fray. Eventually you start doing everything right in your life and it's still not working. You're still feeling like I'm just, I'm missing a part. That, that spiritual hunger that continues to pull us forward. And I think that's why these signs are here. And that's why it's such a counterintuitive view towards life. I mean, it, it really, as, as I'm thinking about it, you know, we're working on this sermon for, for, you know, close to a month now. It, it's like, it's, it's, there's, there's a miracle in here when you really let it speak to you. An incredible miracle in this story. Continually, Christ, Setting it up, and we think it's going to be this, and then it's an answer that's totally different. And in being totally different, it's much better. So I want to talk, folks, for a minute is about signs. What signs do you see? I want us all to say that together, because we're going to actually do that for homework here in a second. Ready? What signs do you see? I'm going to show you a video here. And the video does have some challenging, it's, it's a challenging scenario. It's, it's a family coming to terms with, with a mother who has Alzheimer's. And even in these challenging times, I think there are signs. There's signs we can see. There's signs, ready for this? There's signs of the kingdom. There's signs of the kingdom. So we're going to show you this video, and then I'm going to ask you to respond. And for our online audience, you're welcome to text me in an answer here. And we're going to ask, we're going to pass around the microphone, and we're going to ask, what signs did you see about God's presence in this video? Take a look. We're here every day. Somebody's here every day. Our memories are made up of moments. You want to give me a hug? Good. Mom. And bad. Mom. How are you today? Alzheimer's does not discriminate between them. Today she seems a bit tired. That's Irene Lynn, surrounded by all five of her children. Have you had a busy day? Du Bois, she used to call them. We're all strangers in a way to her. Sad but true. And this is the second toughest yeah. thing the Lynn boys have ever faced. I love you. Which leads us to the first. This is the front bumper going on. That 1980 Chevy Scottsdale pickup. Unreal was covered with rust, 20 years of dust. How could I ever part with it? And memories of the father who brought it home. First brand new vehicle he ever bought. Ron Lynn didn't have a lot, but this truck was his gift to his family. We all learned how to drive in this thing, I think. Holler of corn to the hogs. Memories of this. And five boys to church. Oh, I think I might have had a few girls in here. <laughs> the Chevy that was Cadillac significant to Ron and Irene. It was uh, everything to us. Till everything 
came apart. He went out on a Saturday morning to check the cattle. The bull was still on him when he, my mom got there. The thing must have charged him and just hit him, hit him like a drain. When the bull in the pasture took from the brothers their father. That was tough. Mike, I mean, the I youngest, was 10. The rest in their teens. Never left my dad's casket. We stood there for from the minute the doors opened till the, 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 the thing closed. Somehow mom held it together though. And then two decades later when the woman who'd become both mom and dad started leaving them too. Laying in bed Eric sleepless night. Remembered the truck. That's Callie his daughter. And the date in the dust. The seat yeah. The old Chevy picked up. My sanity. A new purpose. Now we gotta slide it in. Alzheimer's can rip a family apart. But to know the teamwork this took the past two years is to realize the boys were bequeathed by their father a half-ton. Let's all put it on. Therapist. That's a day we never thought would come up. Kept us together, no question. Pump it. It's got a lot more attitude than what it used to have. A good attitude. It's a happy day. That's about to get better. <laughs> Holy smokes. Look at this turnout we've had. There she is. Hi. She did a good job on them. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> there she is. And now they're returning her fa the favor on hers. <laughs> oh, you look good. Yeah. You look beautiful today. Come on over, guys. Come over. Come over. We want to present this truck to the person that stayed strong through difficult times, raised us with love and strong work ethic and humor. Memories, painful and joyful. The Lynn brothers have bounced between both. I think your dad's thinking. Beautiful, beautiful. Yet even his life, again, weighed heavy. What do you think to the truck? You like it? Irene's boys. Did it turn out good? Found the perfect vehicle to help carry the load. And life goes on. The beat goes on. So... Please raise your hand, uh, you know, if you'd like to respond. What were the signs of God's kingdom? And I realize that sounds like such sort of highfalutin religious language. And I, I want to, like, bring it down here. Like, what were the signs that you could see? What were the signs of healing there? The, the signs of how God works that you saw in that video? So please raise your hand, and Angela will be around to give you the microphone and you can share. And again, I just need to say, like, if I'm looking over here, but you're speaking from over there, please don't feel put off because I can't really see anybody, just so you know. So I think the, uh, just the love and connection that the brothers had, right, right. it seemed like all their life and from their dad, but the love and connection that the brothers had, for yeah. sure. That love and connection, what I, I love, I love about that love and connection, did you folks notice their pose in the family portrait? Anybody notice their pose? Where did they have their hands? Around each other's necks? And I thought, welcome to my brotherhood. You know, you got to love that. Like, even in that, even in the fact that, yep, we could wring each other's necks, there's still this connection. Next. Uh, the restoration of the truck was like a resurrection. Oh, that's beautiful. Ooh. 
You know, that's, I, I, think, I think we all go through, right, our own Easter stories. Again and again and again. A time of life, a time of death, and a time of resurrection. And then you can see that there. You can see a, a clear resurrection. I mean, that truck figuratively, but also in a sense very literally for what was happening in their souls. Thank you. I would just say the incredible energy and purpose that these boys had uh, towards family, and perhaps it was through the truck that yeah. you get to see it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 one of the old truisms is that guys like shoulder to shoulder intimacy, women like face to face. So there's nothing to get guys together than a common purpose, right? That's why that we like baseball. I think yeah, because we can watch something. You know, that idea that like bringing them together in a common, what we would call in this denomination, a common use. And that use, that, that idea, charity unites, doctrine divides, that, that that charitable use, that focus outside of ourselves on something, brings us together, brings us into our highest and highest nature. Thank you. Let's get a couple more. God and love become more present in our times of trial. It's really beautiful. God and love become more present in our times of trial. It's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like I view things like this, like our lives, you know, the, the tide tends to be up a fair amount of the time. But then we go through these times where the, where the tide comes down. And, and, and I think we're given to see some of the real gems of, of, of humanity and God as the tide lowers. I, I'm just reminded as you said that, and it was beautifully said, you know, a friend of mine whose, whose wife left him, and I've said this here before, a friend of mine whose wife left him, and I, I asked him, what were, the, what were the things that people said that really helped? And he said, one person said, no matter how hard it is now, it's going to get worse. He said, that was really helpful to know that, yeah, it's going to get harder. And then the other one he said was he's a pastor who saw him said, actually, I'm jealous. And what he, what he was talking about is that as, as we empty out, it's called exonition, if you want big spiritual words, you know, as we empty out, we start to see that other stuff and we grow in ways that we just don't grow otherwise. You know, again, that, that projection of how we see God gets hit by that projectile and something very different occurs. Let's get one more. Um, I just want to say the type of mother that they had to be able to raise five boys, keep their connection the way she did on a farm... It's pretty. It's beautiful, no right? Small task, right? Right. It is beautiful. Like, like, how did she? She managed to pull that off, which is, which is pretty amazing. And and you know, my my parents had a nursing home, so I spent a lot of time around people with Alzheimer's, and it is a very tragic disease. And what I would say is that there's probably a part of her that kind of knew, right? That kind of knew that her boys were. I mean, folks, just and this is where I just I, I cry too much, but. This is where, like, I, I, I think about, like, what would it be like for her on the other side? What will it be like for her in heaven? What will it be like for her boys when her boys come home? And it just, like, I can picture it. I can picture her so clearly saying, you know, I was there. Yeah, I couldn't say it. I couldn't see it. It's, I, I know you didn't think I was there, but I was there. I mean, what beauty of there. You see, folks, this is, this is not some idea of like a, like a Santa Claus God. 
Like a Santa Claus God, what would happen is that the, the brother would take her out in the truck and all of a sudden her Alzheimer's would break and she'd be totally coherent. Well, that's a Santa Claus God. That's a God we mentioned, we talked about this, you know, about six weeks ago. That's a God that believes that love, that where we believe God's love is just transactional. Like I do just the right thing. I fix up the truck and mom will be okay. Jack Clouser, I know you're here. Love is not transactional. Love is transformational. There's no transaction there, folks. There is tons of transformation. Those signs are the signs we are to look for. Not the great sermon. Not the great theological point. Not the string and doing the string perfectly. But those are the signs where we are to find God. That's where it flips. That's where the change takes place. That's where we're reborn. That's where these lines from the Bible come true. All I will do, and excuse me, and I will do whatever you, whatever you ask in my name. Like if you ask God to show you those signs, ask him to the, ask him this afternoon. You'll see him. You'll see him. You'll start to see him all over. And it gives a very different view of faith because this is God's motivation. This is where God comes from. Look at this line here, folks. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Like, we're supposed to ask because this is what God wants to give. And it will always be answered. Like, this is God's good pleasure. This is God's joy to give us these experiences. And, and I feel like so much of it is, is we're looking for God in all the wrong places. We look for God, I see it all the time, we look for God in that string. Or to some sort of miraculous sign up in the sky. To be shown heaven. And really what God is constantly doing is he's showing us earth. He's showing us each other. And he's saying, find me there. Find life there. And our job, to simply say, I choose. I choose to see the signs. I choose to ask God to show me the way. I choose to be humble. I choose to even not know. I choose to let my cherished views and projections of God be pulled apart so that something else can grow. What does that mean? That means I choose life. And as we're going to look at next week, it means I choose. I choose to be reborn. We're going to close today's service now with a prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer. You have an opportunity to say your own prayer. You have the opportunity as well to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it or to just have a moment of silent reflection. So please join me. Dear Lord, 
please help us. Please help us, Lord, to have the humility to ask. The humility, Lord, to come off our ladders. Our ladders that are places where we feel like we know, where we are higher than. And instead, Lord, allow us to sit at your feet and simply, humbly listen. Listen to your stirrings in our heart. Listen to the blessings, Lord, that you've given us. To listen to your voice that is constantly facing us outward to see the world. To see the miracles there. To see life. To see resurrection. To see family. To see connection. Knowing, Lord, that when we ask, you always give. And that it is your good pleasure to give us that kingdom. And let us find you there. And Lord, blessings. Blessings on this congregation. Blessing on those who are coming here today with a broken heart. May your words settle gently with them. Your presence settle gently with them this week. Blessings to all of us. All of us on a path towards being reborn. Reborn, Lord, to all eternity. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.